Welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. Peace. Welcome. 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 Um, I am super excited because this is the the pilot episode for uh, Artistry. Welcome. Um, today, you will get a chance to know your host, uh, host plural. Um, my name is Stan Substantial Robinson. And uh, across from me is this amazing woman who I've happened to know for a very long time. She is co-host of Artistry and uh, my lovely wife. Rochelle Etienne Robinson. Hey. Hey, boo. Hey, baby. All right. And so basically we wanted to start out our podcast and give you a chance to know who we are and why we're doing this, um, you know, and why you should be listening Um, just to so you can understand why we're invested in in the arts and why we are doing our part to try to lift up the artist community and just provide them with resources. So real quick, Rochelle, can you tell them a little bit more about Substantial Art and Music? Substantial Art and Music is a consulting agency. We provide consulting services to those in the arts, um, whether it's visual arts, performing arts, arts administration, um, nonprofit arts organizations, we provide them with resources and um, information on how to better navigate um, either social media marketing, um, grants, uh, funding their art, um, you know, um, graphics, design, basically all the things that your average person doesn't want to do, but obviously needs assistance with, particularly in this climate that we're in. Right. And just to circle back to what you said about uh, the things they don't want to do, um, I think we both can agree that we we even ourselves are guilty of it. But we oftentimes as creatives tend to complain a lot about the system that we exist in and how oftentimes it doesn't look out for artists. Oftentimes we don't get our fair share. Um, and so I think the, the service that we offer is very important because we're trying to empower creatives um, and help them understand the the other side of the business that oftentimes um, leads to people being taken advantage of. Um, and so we're providing them with these resources, making it so that they're able to get it themselves without relying on these huge teams of people to do it. Um, and so it's important work. And, um, and, you know, and I'm blessed to be able to do it with you. Aww. I think it's pretty cool. Aww. Aww. Single tier. Um, so, and but, I just wanted, I just want to add sure. um, in addition to that, um, Part of what birthed substantial art and music was that as creatives ourselves and being privy to some of the avenues that are out there and noticing that there wasn't that many of us mm. in the room. Us. And so as in people of color, okay. marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but all marginal I mean, yeah, you could be um, a person that may be of a certain age demographic that may not be aware of the mm-hmm. certain of certain resources that are available to you. Sure. And so um you know, from both of our experience, we were just like, you know, we need to provide more services to our people, to our folks, and let them know what programs are out there that are they're available um, that they can benefit from. And so that's what ultimately gave birth to this. So we're very, very, you know, um, happy to be doing it, um, mm-hmm. grateful to be doing it. And, you know, for a while, for a long time, I was like, ah, you, do you think people will actually pay 
<laughs> for this service. And the, the truth of the matter is, yes, people are willing to pay. Absolutely. Thank so, God. Yeah. Right. So as far as uh, you as a child, when would you say um, the arts was something you first became aware of and realized that uh, you wanted to, whether it was doing it for fun or no, you wanted to make a career out of it. But when did that really start for you? You know, um, I was born in New York, but I was I was raised primarily in Fairfax, Virginia, which is the northern Virginia, right outside of D.C. Mm-hmm. And but every summer, every holiday, I used to frequent Brooklyn. I was born in Queens, but I frequent Brooklyn to visit my grandmother and my cousins. And they very much inspired me because they, you know, they're from New York. They're from the urban area. This is the, you know, the era of um, graffiti art and everything. And so I would see, um, I had um, my cousin Woodley and then also my cousin Carlene, you know, they frequently drew and um, I wanted to do that too. And I, I used to love to draw, you know, we started just doing faces and, you know, curls in the hair and stuff like that. And it just developed. I, you know, my parents growing up in Northern Virginia, I went to a private school, um, primarily not because, you know, my parents were, you know, doing that well. It's not that we weren't were struggling, but, you know, it was just what they knew. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so we went to a private school that didn't have a very strong art program. So I didn't really get really into the arts um, until middle school. When you say that's what your parents knew, um, does that pertain to like their background, like where they're so, from? What do yeah. you mean about that? So my parents are both from originally from Haiti. They immigrated to the United States in the late <laughs> They immigrated to the um, United States in the late sixties, early seventies, and um, the school that I went to, ironically enough, was just across the street from the house. So mm. it just was at a convenience. convenience. Yeah. But they didn't know that oh, there was also a, a public school that I could have went to that was you know relatively close but they didn't know anybody and free and And they didn't know anybody and in haiti you know when you went to school you went to private school you wore uniform and and so even though when they came to the states they finished high school in in the states um but you know they didn't know anything about you know um elementary school education or k-12 education outside of their own and you know um they grew up with oh religious school private school is best i mean their right. their siblings um had children also in private school so that was just what they knew right and so um and it was at a convenience again you know um even though i was technically i was raised catholic but i went to a southern baptist private school and anybody who knows anything about catholicism and um baptists it's very different right so Monday through Friday, I was a Baptist, and then Sundays, I was Catholic. Mm. Very, very interesting, but that's for another conversation. Well, at least you had a day off, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but how how were they, um, you know, when they realized that you had this skill, right, that you, um, that you loved drawing, um, like, how supportive were they? You know, um, I think they they were supportive in that they you know they said oh that's great like my I would show I would be so proud of a drawing that I did and I would send it to my dad and my dad would be like wow you did that that's amazing you know that's great right. Right. and so um, of course as a kid you know boosts your ego like yeah you know I got this and you know my mom used to love to bake 
And um, I was the go-to person to decorate the flowers and the decorations right. on the cake. So they and she was exploiting your skills young. Basically. Okay. Basically. Right. Early on. Okay, early mom, on. Okay. <laughs> so, but like things like that. I mean, when I got to high school and I was like, yeah, guys, I really want to pursue this as a career. Like, I really want to do this. They were supportive. They didn't, they weren't reluctant. My mom, typical Haitian mother, was like, well, why don't you go be a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer? Sure. But um, I had no interest in any of that. Mm-hmm. Um. And my father was pretty much, you know, okay, that's what she wants to do, you know. So he didn't, um, he wasn't completely pushing me, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't also um, deterring me from from wanting to do it. So, um, I mean, he was, yeah, it's a a blessing. Because when I went for my, um, in high school, because I I continued my art practice um, throughout middle school and high school, I was very fortunate to go to a public school that had a very strong art program. And so um, the teachers there very much knew about um, portfolio reviews and portfolio prep. And what school was that? This was Robinson Secondary. Robinson, and, you don't say. Yes. Oh, okay. Who knew? Who like knew? years later. And, w- and what was their team mascot? <laughs> the Ram. Look at that. Look at that. You know, because I attended this, the Great Suitland High School. Uh, we were also the Rams. You know, I just wanted to plug that real quick. It, it was it was meant to be, folks. It was you know meant I mean? to Went be. Went to a school called Robinson's. We had the same mascot. Anyway. Um <laughs> Yeah, but so so that school prepped you uh, for for the arts, um, and then later you ended up attending Pratt Institute. Uh, Pratt Institute, mm-hmm. um, that's where you graduated from, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. So, what was that experience like as someone who was born in New York? Uh, you know, leaving very young, then returning to it, being able to uh, receive higher education in the uh, you know, in the field that you've been wanting to pursue since you were young in life. So what was that experience like? So in high school, um, like I said, I had I have been continuing my, my art practice, fine arts practice throughout high school. I also took fashion classes. I was very much interested, interested in pursuing fashion. Mm-hmm. Took a fashion class in high school, worked in retail in high school, um, designed T-shirts, typical, you know, high school stuff. And um, I originally wanted to go to FIT because that's the only fashion school that I knew of. It right. was the number one. So that's the one I wanted to go to. Right. And I didn't learn about Pratt until, I want to say, Portfolio Review. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason why I knew about Pratt was because my uncle had graduated from there. But back when Pratt was primarily you know, um, architecture and engineering because right. he, he was studying engineering at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was in the 70s. And so when I knew that Pratt was design school and that they did have fashion, I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll check them out. Ironically enough, I did not get accepted to FIT, but I got mm. accepted to Pratt. Wow. And so my determination was that I just wanted to be in New York. I was like, New York is the fashion capital. That's where I need to be. So if, right. if, if it's Pratt, fine, I'll go to Pratt. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward, had a great experience, had um, great professors um, Adrian, shout out to Adrian Jones, Professor Jones, who I'm still very much in contact with and future very much guest. involved, and also future guest, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, it was just a great experience. I mean, I find that the time that we were at Pratt was at a crossroads between what New York is today and what New York was, right. Um, we were in the we were in Brooklyn in the late '90s, mm-hmm. where crime was still you know was still prevalent um, right. in certain in certain communities. 
But ironically enough, thank goodness, you know, I didn't have any negative experiences. My experiences were all positive. I met my future husband. Hey. You know, um, I have great <laughs> friends that I'm still friends with to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my experience there, you know, I didn't feel like I fit the mold of fashion. Like you have people that were in fashion that were, you know, dressed up in you know, high-end fashion attire and it was just like, really, you coming to school? Meanwhile, everybody else was like in sweatpants and T-shirts. Right. Um, literally, like they just rolled out of bed. Whereas, um, and not everybody was like that, but I know for me, you know, it was a struggle. New York was still, for us at least, for me, it, right. was, ex- it was expensive. Like, you know, to go to art school, not only are you doing um, liberal arts studies, you also have, you know, foundation year which requires a lot of materials yeah and you know it was a struggle but it forced me to be very creative and and make things stretch yeah and and one thing um you know we talked about this before like you know it's something that i'm very aware of now that i didn't realize back then but part of the reason why we saw certain people who dressed a certain way and stuff because you know a, a decent amount of people because Pratt is not a cheap school, no, right? It's not. And so a decent amount of the people who attend Pratt like come from families, you know, upper middle class, you know, basically have um, you know, they they have some disposable income, right? And so so you know, a lot of times you we find ourselves trying to compete with folks who we don't necessarily have the same resources as them. And 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 you know, something that I think we realize too is that art is uh, kind of treated almost like a uh, what's the word? Um, it's almost like a it's a privilege almost, mm-hmm. right? To be able to pursue the arts, um, uh, so to speak, because of the cost involved, especially if you want to be educated in it. Absolutely. But anyway, um, but yeah, uh, so at Pratt, um, you know, you graduated from Pratt um, after completing four years. Um, I I vividly remember the uh the fashion show uh the the, the senior um project that you oh uh, you mean the one that you modeled in well okay. you know i mean you know i mean I, I dabble you know but uh but yeah but i i remember i remember it not just because i was there but like also because of the fact that you know you um you put together an amazing show uh, and you also won an award um yeah. yeah so you won the solstice lace award that year yeah, so tell us about that and, um, you know, the how that came about. That whole experience was like a Cinderella story for me mm-hmm. because of the fact that, again, you know, all, all four years was a struggle trying to pull things together, but, you know, work so I can basically support myself. And, you know, not to say that I didn't get support from my family because I did, right? but very much so, you know, trying to get supplies because it was always something that was needed and to pursue. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and you had some professors that, you know, weren't so... You know, they had their favorites, I'll put it that way. Right. And I wasn't one of them. And so um, Solstice Lace is a French lace company out of um, out of Paris that um, every year Pratt has like different sponsors that basically mm-hmm. sponsors an award. Right. And so I used, um, you were supposed to use their lace because they were donating lace. Mm-hmm. Use their lace and incorporate in your design somehow. So I designed um, a midriff um, evening gown. A top, you know, top. It was a midriff top and a long A-line skirt. Right. I only used the lace on the top of the the, the blouse, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, where everybody else was doing like all over lace, like you know, very formal evening gowns or wedding gowns or something like that. 
And so when um, it's like in the movies, you know, when everybody's looking at their scores, their test scores, and everybody's huddled around the wall looking for their name. Right. So I remember um, that it had been posted. Everybody's huddling around. And as I walk in, everybody's looking at me. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I didn't get, you know, because you basically, you were finding out if not only if you won the award, but if you're in the fashion show, because not everybody Right. Gets in the fashion show, mm-hmm. and so I'm thinking, oh my god, my heart, my heart sunk. I was thinking, oh my god, I you did not. Thought I thought the worst because everybody's looking at me. They're not looking at me with smiling faces. They're looking at me like, oh my, like you know, like I hate that. <laughs> right, and so <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. So as I walk up, and it's really felt like some like you know high school movie, right? Right. Walk up to the wall, and I see my name, and it says awarded. Wow, wow. And I was like, what? I was like, I was in more shock than probably anybody in the room. Cause I was like, really? Like you have all these people that again, use this, this donated, beautiful, fine lace Mm -hmm. all over their garment. And because they, and they said, and I talked to the, um, the, the sponsor and, Mm -hmm. you know, they liked how it's not so much using it, but how you used it and making it fresh and new. Right. And so that's how that happened. And I was very, very proud of that moment. Yeah, man, as you should be, you know, you worked hard and uh, and then you were able to uh, come out victorious in the end. And so that uh, was just a dope moment. One of the other um, memories that stands out to me um, of my proud experiences, uh, we were privy to a lot of different um, internships mm-hmm. and not everybody took them like some people did or they went their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough to work in um, a talent talent agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at Cunningham, Escott and Dapini, which is a talent agency. I worked at, um, which was a catalog company at the time. I don't know if they're even around anymore, but um, uh, Newport News, mm-hmm. which is a fashion catalog magazine. Um, before anybody was buying clothes online, you would buy things through the mail. Right. And then I also worked at a, um, a first magazine, which was a mode magazine, which unfortunately is no longer in existence, but was a one of the premier uh, plus size mod, um, plus size magazines. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was a great experience. I learned something from every one of those places, um, which I think has pretty much made me to the person I am today as far as organizing and, and managing and just making sure you to follow through. So it was it was a great experience. Yeah. Speaking of experiences, um, you know, <laughs> when I think of your journey in terms of your professional career, you've worked with a, <laughs> like in, you've worked in a lot of industries. Yes, I have. You've worked in a lot of different places. Um, and I think that's always interesting. Like when when people finish art school, you know, of course, there's the the path that we assume most people will take or go. And then there's the reality that creatives don't always have the best luck in terms of being able to find like well-paying jobs or careers. Um, but you you've never had a problem getting a job or keeping a job. <laughs> and you've definitely tried a lot of different things. And so um, I know you were with Craftwork for a certain period of time. Real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Very brief. <laughs> Um, which led to you uh, working with Le Book, uh, which was a, a French uh, publishing company. Um, and uh, and then also The Knot, where you spent um, a good amount of time as well. What were those experiences like? So after graduation, like I, you know, you get an internship hoping that by the time you graduate, it turns into a job. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, like I said, with Mood Mag- Mode Magazine, that folded, I think, shortly after my term with them ended. Right. Um. Uh, so nothing 
came to fruition. It was very stressful that summer after graduating. It's like, yeah, I graduated. I got these awards, but uh, I still don't have a job. I mean, this is 2001. Um, the economy was okay. Um, this was right before 9-11. Right. And so, um, yeah, like it was a stressful time because I'm like, okay, I got to pay. I have this apartment. I got to pay rent. I got, you know, it was a lot of stress. And I did apply to a couple of places, a lo- couple of fashion houses. I can't say it was outright... Um, because I always interviewed well. That's one thing that people have always said, oh, you interview very well. But, right. you know, certain fashion houses have a particular look. Not even for people looking for fashion-related. Like, I was just trying to get, like, front desk. Right. <laughs> you know, just to get your foot in the door. And um, things didn't come to fruition that way. But then I did get a job with Craftworks. Um it was a. It was not a complete startup, but it was relatively small. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Kraft was um, the man behind. He's the creative director behind uh, Marky Mark, um, with the Calvin Klein ads and the right. the boxer shorts and everything. And he also designed, you know, Voss Water. So it was great. I was like, oh my god, this guy has accomplished so many things. And you know, people were coming to the um, to the office. I was a admin assistant. He never spoke with me. Like I just. I, I'm here. I am your admin assistant, and he was just. We just didn't click. Like mm. he was very like sort of standoffish and everything like that. So needless to say, I quit and just went right next door to La Book because <laughs> <laughs> I was friends with the ladies because we would get their mail or vice versa. So I'd walk over there sure. and find out. I never heard of La Book. La Book, for those that don't know, is the at least it was at one time the bible for those in the in the fashion and creative industry. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was like. Um, it is like the Yellow Pages, a, a very beautiful <laughs> Yellow Pages right. book for those that are in film and magazine and art and music. Um, it lists everything from model agencies, talent agencies, photographers, artists, mm-hmm. models, you name it. Right. Um, and so needless to say, a lot of those in the industry definitely looked to the book as a great resource. And so I did data entry, which was at the time you know, was a new, a new skill that I hadn't known, you know, using, um, uh, what is it? Excel spreadsheets and stuff like that. So that was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then nine 11 happened and that right. was, uh, I was working two jobs because, because it was a French company. My first time, my first experience working for a French company in Europe, they pay most, some companies pay once a month. Right. Never experienced that before, <laughs> you know, and it's not like I was getting paid that much money. So I was still working retail at, mm. ironically enough, the World Trade Center in right. the mall. And so um, that story is always interesting because the day 9-11 happened, I was supposed to work that day, but um, I had to switch with someone because it was Labor Day weekend, and so I was able to switch with somebody. So I was still working at um, Le Book, though, that day. Right. And so and Le Book is in Soho, which has a perfect view of the um, World Trade Center. And so we got to see everything. Yeah. I always think of that day um, for a lot of different reasons, but, um, you know, I was grateful to, I was grateful that you were working at a publication company that had a book and that, uh, and one of my uh, closest friends, shout out to Isaiah, uh, worked at a store that sold books um, because I had never visited uh, that particular job you had. So I didn't know how to, yeah, so I didn't know how to find you, um, but I knew how to find Isaiah, and he just happened to have, they just happened to have your book, um, your company's book there, which had the address. And so still didn't find you, but um, <laughs> but, but at least we were in the, the right area. Right. Um, 
but yeah, no, it's um, yeah, I I find it. Yeah, your journey is just so interesting in terms of like all of the different um, companies you work with. So after Le Book was the knot, right? Yes, which yeah. is down the street. Down the street. Yeah, you. you <laughs> I always stay in the community. I mean, you know, that way your commute didn't have to switch up too much. You know, you like right. your commute. Right. <laughs> you kept it simple. I always, as a kid, you know, from reading Vogue magazine and 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 Seventeen magazine and just magazines in general, Essence, mm-hmm. Ebony. And I used to read the masthead and um, and look at it like, oh my God, you know, you've made it when your name is in the is published is in a is in a book. And right. so, um, the industry changed after nine eleven, um, particularly in the arts. Mm-hmm. And so, this company, when I was working at Le Book, it was um, short lived because you know they had budget cuts. And so, the same as the saying goes, you know, last hired, first fired. Right. And so, I was um, I was laid off. Mm-hmm. which wasn't the first time, so it was okay. And so I um, saw a listing um, for The Knot, which mm-hmm. was also relatively new. I and mean, they, they had been around for a couple of years by that time, but um, you know they were um, moving online as well as um, publishing hard copies. And so I was a fashion account representative working with the designers and um, adding them to the, their images to the website. And so um, I ended up working there. I was there for about two, almost three years. Right. And um, which was great. And my name was in the magazine and I was so proud and it was it was a great experience. But mm-hmm. one thing about me and because I've had so many different experiences, once I'm done, I mean, I have no poker face. So once I'm done, I'm, I'm done. I was ready. Right. I was ironically enough, um, we were getting married and um, the company was going in a different direction, and I was just not motivated. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm working with these these designers, and I'm just like, that's that should be me. I should be at a design house, you know. So I was sort of unsettled. I didn't know. I still, even to that time, I was 25 years old. I was like, what should I? I was having like a what I called a mid-century life crisis. I was like, what should I be doing with my life? Mm. And so, um, I mean, the, again, the experience was great. I did learn a lot. Um, I definitely wanted to write, but right. I didn't know how to, you know, go into that direction. And you didn't really have, um, it. you know, it's so amazing to me, like how you can have a city that has a very strong um, ethnic population. Mm-hmm. But when you're in Manhattan, particularly Soho, where I was, and in most office buildings, you didn't see that many of us. Right. And so to have a sort of, quote unquote, big sister, big brother, um, to basically guide you and sh- have that path. I mean, it was very difficult. It was very right. difficult. I mean, I, I did reach out to some people, but they, you know, and I don't know if I wasn't um, more assertive and trying to find out how to go about doing things. And so, mm-hmm. you know, again, that company was going into a, a different direction and they were doing layoffs. And so layoff number two happens. And so, I'm, right. you know, and then from there... Um, actually, no, I, we skipped before, um, the knot was mm-hmm. Alvin Ailey. Yes. Yes. I, wow. So yeah, cause that, that's what happened. So after, right. um, working at Le Book, I, I, um, someone from Pratt, um, shout out to Karen who worked in student activities forever and just recently retired. Um, she reached out to me and she's like, Hey, I know somebody at Alvin Ailey. They're looking for a wardrobe assistant. Would you be interested? I was mm. like, yes. Please and so, and thank you. Please um, and thank you. 
Shout out to John Taylor. I reached out to JT and he was like, yeah, we're looking for someone for Ailey too. You know, it involves a lot of travel. Mm -hmm. um, basically, you would be prepping the costumes, which is something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to work with either theater or in the movies or film. Right. Um, so I did that. And I did that for about a year and got to travel to some amazing places that I have never been. I've been to like well over uh, 30 states with Alvin Ailey in that short period of time. But mm -hmm. that was my first introduction into a in the nonprofit sector, and it wasn't paying. Like, I mean, right. I was... That was a struggle. You know, I love the f idea of traveling. I mean, but even that got old pretty quick because you're always living out of a suitcase. You hate, right. I came home, I'd visit you. Right. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I've got to go back, hit the road. I felt like I was the one, I mean, I was the one touring. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, know? you were definitely touring much more than I was. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you know, living out of a suitcase, um, you know, back then, you know, cell phones, yes, we had them, but right. you know, the signals were horrible. Right. Going right. to places like Minneapolis, Minnesota, and all these other places, and deep they weren't south. smartphones, so no. you know you were no. you were kind of limited in terms Absolutely. of what you could do. Yeah, I mean, so it really much, very much became like family with the dancers and the crew. But mm -hmm. um, um, it was a great experience. Uh, but again, um, that was my a, a huge wake up call as far as how am I going to pay my rent? You know, like this right. is great and all, and getting a per diem. Like I would literally save. Per diem, which is a lot. What a lot of us did. You saved your per diem, which is basically money you get for meals and incidentals and stuff like that. Save that money, and then you would go to the store and buy things in bulk, and you know, snack there. Or thankfully, a lot of the places that we did go to, they would host us for, um, you know, dinner or whatever. So you just ate there, you know, right. because you had to save every penny you can get. Right. Right. So yeah. after that, then I then I I went to the knot because I was like I need to make more money I need benefits, yeah. <laughs> you know, I needed to do this adult thing. So um, and yeah. then ironically enough, um, again near misses like after I left, um, the main company was looking for someone, but by that time I had already worked at I was already got I already got hired from the knot, so I decided yeah. to stay. But you know, it's it's one of those things when it's what's meant for you is meant for you. So right. I mean, I see all of the different um, opportunities you've had. And I mean, that theme that like we, we talk about in the art world all the time, um, the whole starving artist thing, like, you know, it's I felt like we were always barely like, getting you know, by. Yeah, barely getting by. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's not that, uh, you know, and here you are, you, you know, college degree, um, uh, an amazing skill set like you you had all these things going for you and even with all of that you, there were still challenges um yeah. and so you know i think it's important for people to know that um regardless to how much security you think that uh, that you have and and how much it seems like you're doing everything the right way there are still going to be challenges i don't even think they are avoidable to a certain extent like certain things right like I mean, you can you could have gone a different path, but you were trying to follow your calling. Um, and so and speaking of paths, um, so, you know, at this point in time, you know, we were kind of ready for a change. Uh, and yeah. so um, we left New York. Uh, you actually left before me. Right. <laughs> right. So what happened was um, New York was get become was changing. Sure. Um, you know, you had um, Bloomberg was mayor. Um, the city was physically changing. Prices were going up. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was very, one thing for sure I learned very early on, it's you're not going to sacrifice your happiness. Right. 
So, um, and I've had, I had heard horror stories from friends of mine who were in the fashion department, you know, fashion um, industry, industry mm-hmm. and were miserable, you know, were being abused, working all these long hours, weren't getting paid. And if they were getting paid really, really well, like they didn't get to enjoy it. They didn't right. get to travel because you're working their butts off. And I know part of it is like, hey, that's, you know, you're putting your work in, but I, I disagree. And so. Right. Like there um, has to be a better way. There too. has to be a better way. And so after we got married and literally we you know, planned our wedding ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting the the event planning bug. In my family, we always are planning events anyway. And so I, it came very easy to me. Mm-hmm. And especially working with At The Knot, um, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm interested in catering. How about maybe, you know, event planning and stuff. So I started reaching out to, um, and that industry is cut and dry too. But um, I started looking at hotels mm-hmm. and um, was able to meet with, um, the uh, general manager at uh, JFK Radisson, mm-hmm. and we just hit it off um, like old friends, and had no experience besides the wedding and birthday parties and baby showers. Right. Had no experience, <laughs> you know what I mean? But she saw something in me, and she was like, "Yeah, let's 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 do before, this." Before the record, you, you did have experience. You just didn't have professional experience um, because in your family, and and. <laughs> Um, which is my family. Uh, right. It's it's a big family. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, a really it's a really big family. And you, um, you know, I witnessed firsthand. You were kind of always like the go to person uh, for certain situations, um, even in your twenties. Like you know, just organizing certain things. And so I didn't really feel like, it, yes, it was a new experience for you, but it kind of wasn't. I felt like you had certain real life experience that prepped you for it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I, I mean, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and I, I received that. Um, but yeah, it was still a risk. I was like, hey, yeah, let, no, me, no, let me go for it. And right. and it, sure enough, it happened. And, you know, a lot of it was learning on the job. Some of it was bringing things that they weren't doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that opened my eyes to capitalism at its finest. Um, right. In that experience, that was interesting because um, this is right around the time of Katrina. Right. And so right. we had um, several what they called, and I didn't agree with it, but what they called refugees that came from Louisiana who stayed at the hotel. Right. Um, and were essentially living there for several months. Um, I, I got to meet Spike Lee because when he was filming his documentary. When the levees broke. When the levees broke, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was interviewing some of our residents that were there. And so, you know, um, the owners... We're interesting. We're an interesting group of, of men, and um, it was definitely an eye opener. Um, but I had the the what stood out to me was um, a young uh, instructor who was there with some students teaching them. These are kids that were either special needs or were having actual hard time, and so the the teacher was trying to give them real world experience. And so they came and were learning about the hotel hotel industry. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I whenever we I saw her, I spoke with her and spoke with the students that were there. And, and when I had time, I was able to talk with them. And she's like, you know, you would be a great teacher. And it was like a mm. light bulb, like, ooh, right? Maybe I'll be a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in New York, by that time, I knew it was time to go. I love New York, and I wanted to leave before I ended up hating it. And it was just like it was just becoming very. It was pulling to my soul. Like it was just, um, if it wasn't the, the traffic, if it wasn't the the par- constantly with the parking and the tickets and 
just a lot was happening and I was ready for a change. And I wanted right. to own a home. Right. I really wanted us to own a home. And start and, a family. And start a family. You mm-hmm. know, I, I felt like my, you know, my ovaries were just like, hey, look, we need to do something. <laughs> 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 or, you know, it was just, it was a lot of different things. And I was like, I was ready for a change. And I didn't see that happening in New York because of the fact that prices were going up and I didn't see my income growing. And so, but we went to, we visited Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love a city, but I want a city that's affordable. And Baltimore was I used to pass by it every time coming on my way to New York, but I never really stayed in Baltimore. Right. And you had family there. We came down mm-hmm. for your grandmother's funeral. And I was just like, oh my God, they have brownstones here. We could live in Baltimore, you know? Right. right. And so I came down first and was staying with your sister try, while I was looking for work, trying to find a job at a hotel. Nothing was biting. And so I did some odd jobs here and there. Then I substituted. I was like, oh, let me try this whole education thing. Right. And so I was a sub for a while. And then um, you got you came down and you got a gig with um, Covenant, Covenant House, House Washington, Washington. right? Yep. And, um, and so they were constantly, they were hiring. Mm-hmm. And so in a different department, we, I was able to um, apply for their um, education and workforce development Right. program and got hired, which I didn't think they were going to do because, you know, a lot of people are funny about, you know, couples in the same company, but yeah. we were in a different area. Yeah. Different departments. Different and, department. and let me just let me educate our listeners. If you ever meet us in person. Right. I'm a likable enough guy. Right. I'm I'm OK. Right. <laughs> but uh, like as far as our, our track record as a couple um, historically throughout our relationship, even the people who really, really like me. Uh, when they meet Rochelle, I've heard this same thing, bro. You're cool, man. Like you are, you really. But your wife, man. <laughs> like I've heard that statement in, in worded so many different ways, <laughs> like for like over twenty years. And let's be clear, yeah. I've heard it on our, my side too, because yeah. my family. I'm talking about when we're both present. I know, though. but my family. <laughs> They say the same thing, like, how's Stan doing? Right. Yeah. That, that's not the same thing. That's, okay. that's you know, that's, yeah. Right. So, I mean, yeah. So, so her getting, uh, getting the job with them, uh, it was no surprise because, yeah, every, everyone, everyone loves this woman. So carry on. I'm sorry. I, I wooed them. Did I woo them? You didn't have to. You, <laughs> you showed up. You showed up. And they were like, yep, she's much cooler than he is, probably smarter. Let's give her a job. And they gave her a job. And so, yeah. And I did. And it was a great experience because, you know, having not been a teacher, because what happened, I did apply. I did apply. I took classes, mm-hmm. um, applied to be a Baltimore City. I mean, and sometimes, and this is one thing I will say to our listeners. Again, what I said before, what is meant for you is meant for you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a no is actually a good thing. Absolutely. Because I applied to be a Baltimore City public school teacher, didn't pass the praxis exam, um, which was a blow, right? So I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be a teacher. Da, 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 da. Mm. And so, but in the end, I ended up working um, in indirectly in, 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 in education by helping, you know, these... Um, these old at-risk youth obtain, you know, either their GED, just basically helping them navigate the education system as well as um, workforce. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was just as instrumental as being in a classroom day to day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so I got into education, again, had more experience working in the nonprofit sector and the, the drama 
<laughs> that that involves. Mm-hmm. Um, transition to DCPS. Mm-hmm. Um, working as a um, program analyst. Well, first was an after-school coordinator. Right. So basically an administrator at the school level. Basically a principal for all after-school activities. Right. Um, and then quickly was able to um, move up to be a program analyst where I got to train um, other after-school coordinators. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. But again, you know, in education and in and, and nonprofit, there's always some type of drama and budget cuts and everything like that. And so I, I saw, you know, I saw the sign. So I was like, you know what? Let me, I'm, I've been working in grants. Um, so I had that experience and I wanted to get back in the arts. I really wanted to get into something creative right. or helping creatives and was trying to do it in my own community. And so um, Fairfax County was in their, um, in their uh, arts division was looking for, uh, the Arts Council of Fairfax was looking for a grants coordinator. Mm-hmm. And it was part-time. We, we had our daughter. I wanted to be home more. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we knew that it would um, affect our budget. Right. So we made certain, you know, um, sacrifices. sacrifices, right. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it was worth it. And so um, did that, excelled in that, moved up from coordinator to a manager um, where I really got to hone my skills. Like everything, everything that I've acquired from all of my jobs, I was able to use that as well as learn um, from working at the Arts Council. And so, um, but from that experience, that taught me, again, looking at, you know, when we were hosting workshops, basically telling people about, you know, about the different grant opportunities that are available and how to apply, again, because of the community also, but also I didn't see us. I didn't see Mm -hmm. a lot of folks that have been marginalized that that were in the room. Right. And I was like, there are, there are opportunities out here. Um, and folks are missing out. It was the same people that were attending these meetings every session. Right. <laughs> every session. And so I do pride myself in that. I, um, I was in charge with um, recruiting panelists that basically reviewed the grants. Right. And so I made it a point to reach out to diverse communities, South Asian, um, East Asian, um, you know, black, white, everybody to be mm-hmm. panelists. Right. Just to get a different set of eyes on these applications and also to let their networks know about the different opportunities that were out here. And so I pride myself in that. And so we were able to get that, um, get that going and, and really show, you know, what's happening in Fairfax, but also what's happening in the greater community. Right. Um, and then from there, I was, you know, again, always feeling restless, right? right. Ready for something new. <laughs> right. Um, this, we decided to ha- to expand our family and bring destiny. Let our powers come by. <laughs> and um, I figured, you know, I'm not. I don't know if I'm. I'm going to be going back. Right. And then sometimes things just force your hand, and so. Um, I knew I wanted to be home with the baby as long as I possibly could. But again, I knew that we had bills. Right. And then um, my father unexpectedly became ill shortly after, literally shortly after um, Destiny was born. Mm-hmm. And I made the decision. I was like, well, I need to be home because no one else can be home to help him. You know, Because right. he was, my father was diagnosed with um, heart disease, which none of us knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I 
called them and I was like, look guys, I don't think I'm going to be able to come back. You know, this is what's going on and right. you know, it's just rough. And so, um, that was December. My father passed in February. And so we were just like, you know what? I, it's, it's, it's a lot going on by that time though. Um, a year before we had formed substantial art music in 2017, mm-hmm. right? When we found out we were pregnant. Right. And so, um, and, and on top of doing that, like you also had been doing um, Seychelles designs, like, uh, yeah. you know, doing custom wear for people and styling people who were uh, like going to the Grammys and all of that. And on top of that, you're creative and, and you were creative uh, and still are um, creative director um, for a black dress exhibit. Yes. So, yeah, it was a lot going on. So with that, um, in 2014, um, Professor Jones, Professor Adrian Jones, had um, curate, co-curated uh, an exhibit called Black Dress. Mm-hmm. And essentially, Black Dress was basically highlighting African-American designers um, in an exhibit um, where you had the designers um, from both from the past as well as present mm-hmm. to exhibit some of their, their pieces. And I thought it was great. I thought, what you know, whatever assistance you need, I don't know what I can do from Virginia, but whatever assistance you need, I think this needs to be traveled. It needs to travel and go around. So I basically, you know, was like, hey, I'm here for you. Right. And so we partnered up and we we worked on it tirelessly and continued to work on it. Um, we developed the website, mm-hmm. um, which basically features um, images from the exhibit itself, as well as highlighting um, the different segments of of blacks in the industry from, from models to designers to, um, stylists, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so we listed that. Mm-hmm. So with all of that going on, uh, and everything that I had going on, then we start substantial art and music. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that, you know, even though it was a lot happening in our lives, the time, and I felt like couldn't be better, right? Like you were making, um, even though I was still, uh, in a full-time job, you um, had gradually made that transition out of working for the Arts Council after your father's passing, some of the things that you had to take on um, to help out the family. As that started to subside a bit and kind of that load lightened, um, so to speak, uh, it basically, I just watched you, you know, kind of take this this bigger role. One thing about you, like, yes, you're a creative, but you also have this, um, like the administrative side, uh, side because of your experience. That's why I think it was so important for folks to get your backstory, um, just to help them understand why you're able to kind of uh, traverse both worlds so um, so wonderfully. You know yeah, I mean? to have that left brand and right brand is very essential. Like while I was um, transitioning to uh, the Arts Council, I needed a creative outlet, and so that's right. why I started Shell Designs in 2013, where I was doing, um, I started out doing small things. It was just like bow ties, uh, bow ties and, right. and then passport covers, and then garments, and then, you know, it was stuff like that. I mean, it's not my main thing, but it's like so, I, something that I do um, just to continue to keep creative. I mean, the same, um, as far as that family support, the same sewing machine that I was gifted on my 17th birthday, I still use to this day. Right. And so, and ironically enough, I've never had, I've only had to have that um, um, repaired once mm. in the over 20 years that I've had it. Right. I've only had to have it repaired once. Super it was like Kenmore, Kenmore. Right. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I, 
I definitely consider myself left brain and right brain. I love creating. I like do, especially when I can do it on my at my own pace and my own right. for myself. Right. But um, very much a boss. I love you know <laughs> orchestrating and and not necessarily like telling people what to do. Right. But it's really just um, I function best in organization. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and absolutely. If, and those around me need to too. Like um, right. even with this. Um, in pandemic mode, like the first thing, once we knew our daughter was going to be home, our eldest Serenity was going to be home. Right. I was like, okay, we need a spreadsheet. We need a schedule. Yeah. <laughs> now you, you were absolutely on. And speaking of that, um, and I think this is a, a great point where we'll um, start to wrap up. But um, in the midst of this crisis, uh, one of the things that you've been doing, um, you know, speaking of that same sewing machine, um, you've been making masks. Um, I don't. God knows how many you've made. Yeah. So we have a huge family, and so I just wanted to make sure that um, that everybody had some type of covering. Because I mean, it was in the beginning in March. You know, went from not wearing masks, and I knew early on. I was like, okay, folks in Asia have been wearing masks even before the pandemic. Right. And so I was like, all right, uh, bare minimum, we're gonna have masks. And then, so initially, I made it for us. Mm-hmm. Then I made it for our family and friends who were in in the you know medical field, right. and then I was like, you know what? Let me just make it for the whole family because then when they said that everybody needs one yeah. when you go out in public, I was like, okay, let me make sure that everybody at least has one because, you know, the disposable ones, you know, you, if you could find one, first of all, yeah. And so you know, I just decided to make it. I mean, people, a lot of people were selling it, right? And I've I've sold a few like in bulk, like people who wanted ten or or twelve. But I haven't really been promoting it like that because I wasn't doing it for that. And I right. know for some people, not knocking anybody who was doing it because everybody needs to make money out here. Sure. But um, it's not my my main thing. Like this is something I was doing support to help people out. Right. So, um, yeah. It's just been dope to watch. You know what I mean? Because um, I, it was like just watching a superhero spring into action. You know what I mean? No, seriously. Um, you know, I think a lot of artists, a lot of creators in this, in times like these are like trying, they're grappling with um, how to continue to express themselves um, in a way that's relevant in the current times we're in. And I think that's harder for certain types of creatives, right? Mm-hmm. Like this one thing when you're a writer, it's another thing when you're a vocalist, it's a, um, it's one thing when you're a uh, um, like a visual artist, so to speak, in the traditional sense, like painting or drawing. But it's another thing when, you know, uh, fashion design is your background. Right. Yeah. Like um, and realizing that, wow, I can make an apparatus that will keep people safe um, and not being told or pushed by someone to do that and just saying, like, yo, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and yeah, so doing things dope. on your own terms is the most freeing <laughs> thing um some of the other things that i do on the side uh, and it's so funny because before having um destiny i thought that i'm not gonna have time to do anything that i want to do it's gonna it's always gonna be about the kids about the kids and i i find that whatever it is that you want to do particularly for mothers that are out there or anybody who's out there who you know finally is always making excuses for themselves right um if it's something that you want to do you're going to make time for it Right. Whether it's waking up early, staying up late, maybe while the kids are watching TV, like you make the time. And um, and granted, I know that's easier said than done for some folks, but that's what I had to do. Like I with this pandemic, I've, been, I've had a, a script that I've been working on since 2018. Mm-hmm. This pandemic ha- happens. 
I finally finished the script. Mm-hmm. And so it's a pilot. So I made time for that. Um, and still had made time to make over 100 masks and be there for my family and cook and clean and, and go outside consult. and consult. Right. And so, I mean, whatever it is that you want to do, if you want it bad enough, you will do it. You right. will do it. And that's something that I had to learn because I really was, I was very content to be like, well, I guess I can't do it and da 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 Granted, I welcome this. And I think um, for anybody out there who is struggling, because it is a struggle, but at the same time, it's, a, it's also your, a mindset. Mm-hmm. If you set your mind out to do something, it's one thing if you don't have the supplies. Like I saw something that was so inspiring the other day. There was a young lady, and I forget her name, but I saw her on, on, um, on IG. She paints with a magnifying glass and the sun. Like literally, she didn't have access to paints when she was younger. And her father or her brother were outside. Like most of us kids do, you fit, when you um, have, discover a magnifying glass and if you have the sun, it's a sunny day and you could burn into wood or leaf or whatever. And that's what she's been doing. And her art is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I think... Using things like IG or Twitter or YouTube, it's great for inspiration mm-hmm. as long as it pushes you to do what it is. Don't get stuck there and just be scrolling forever for infinite, you know, for infinity, trying to get inspiration. Little things like that. And I'm like, okay, if that person can do it. I didn't have any supplies. And it's usually her paintbrush is a, uh, is a magnifying glass. Right. Like, you know, I mean, if I, back when I, had, when I was in school, I didn't have certain things. And so you would, you know, you... Start, you use what you have. Right. And for us, if you have this time, use the time. Go outside. If you get stuck, that's okay. But then, you know, go outside. Do something. You know, when I say go outside, I'm not saying go out shopping or whatever. But, right. you know, just to get air or change of pace. Because I know for some people, if you're in an apartment, if you're in a bedroom, if you're in a house, you know, you need sometimes an escape mm-hmm. to get to get back. So yeah, that's what I would recommend. I think one of the biggest takeaways from this conversation, um, when I listen to you and I think about all that you have, I just think each person's journey is their own, right? Your journey is your own, um, but it doesn't start until you take the step. And so, um, and, and the beautiful thing about watching your journey is you sometimes would be like very nervous um, or a bit apprehensive about taking the step, but eventually you do. Um, and that's where it all begins. That's where the journey begins and where it ends is, you know, like that. who knows. But um, but the fact that you were willing to even start it. Right. You were willing to begin um, is that's a large amount of the battle right there. So thank you so much. And I just want to thank you, because honestly, that what you just said, it has a lot to do with you, because mm-hmm. the thing is. And Stan knows this because we were in a relationship for over 20 years. We, in the beginning, like, you know, Stan was very much, I used to consider myself a free spirit, but Stan, Stan was, you know, he was completely out there. He's like, let's just do this. And I was just like, what? We got bills. We got this. We got kids, you know. And ironically enough, after having um, Destiny, like a lot of the fear and also death, death, I think, has puts a Mm. lot into perspective. It's like, you know, for things that you held back, that you weren't going to do or, you know, having regrets that I didn't get to do because of fear. And so after having my daughter and losing my dad and also having lost my brother, like, it's like, okay, you know what? If we fail, we have, thankfully, we have a support system. No one's going to let us completely fall. We're not going to be out here homeless in the streets. You know what I mean? 
So with that, I'm very, we're very fortunate. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you have to, you know, you have to bet on yourself. Right. If you know you want it to happen, like a lot of the fears and apprehension that I had before, I don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's because I've seen your work ethic and I've seen what I contribute to the team. Mm-hmm. And between us together, mm, forget about right. it. Forget about it. Yeah, it's man. crazy. Squad. Right. <laughs> and so um, I think that's what it is. And it's so funny. Like part of us, we've had these discussions. We're like, damn, we should have done this. Like we could have done this like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, but, but it wouldn't have been the same. Right. It wouldn't have been the right. same. And so we had to go through the path, the journey that we went on to get us to the point that we are at now. Yeah. And also putting things in perspective, what's important versus what's not important. Uh, absolutely. And you was important. You was smart. You was kind. You was important. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. You know what I mean? You you are amazing. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to be still on this journey with you. Uh, uh-huh. So thank y'all so much for listening. Uh, This is part one of uh, Artistry's pilot episodes. Um, So you got to know a lot about uh, our co-host, Rochelle Etienne Robinson. And uh, next episode, you'll learn a little bit about me. All right, but until then, the main. Well, you know, I I do what I can for the people. Uh, But until then, we will see you next time. Y'all take care. Peace. Thanks for listening to Artistry, where art meets industry. This podcast has been brought to you by Substantial Art and Music. For more information, please visit www.subartmusic.com. You can also follow us on social media at Subart Music. We'll see you soon, but talk to you soon. Peace.